Um, so let's open our Bibles to Romans. So we're going to be mainly on Romans uh, 10. It's a very famous passage, 10, verse uh, 14 and 17. This is, this is, this is the, the questions that, that Paul asks to the Roman church. And they all have to do with him taking the gospel to unreached peoples. Now back then, there wasn't a thing, a title of unreached people groups. It was just because everyone was unreached. Right? Everyone outside of this little bubble of, of Jewish belief, this remnant that God pulled out from, from the, the other rebellious Jewish nation, these remnant, they, they decided to believe as Jesus as their Messiah. And so Paul had a huge task. Now, his world was a lot smaller, right? They, they knew a lot less of the world and nations and, and, and their boundaries of what, what it meant, uh, what was the, the uttermost parts of the world? That was very different than ours, right? To him, Spain was like the extreme. That was the farthest you can think of. Because what happens after Spain? There's just an ocean, right? And so then you go to the other side. And so he had a huge task, and he, everyone was a, his, his, task, his task was to reach the Gentiles. And he had a huge, and there was only one guy, Right? But not really. It was the whole church. So let me begin with a word of prayer before we get into it. Um, so that God will speak to us. Father, we are very grateful for this morning. And let, the, let the word of God not be an old um, thing or old information uh, to be um, just uttered again, Lord. Uh, but I pray this morning... May your spirit be with her, here with us, speaking to our hearts uh, individually, but also corporately as Westchester. Uh, we thank you for um, your goodness. We thank you that we have Romans now as in part of our canon that we get to um, see and, and, and learn from Paul. And we thank you for his heart, for, for the Old Testament, and how he based everything about his mission on Scripture. He just saw it everywhere in your word. So I pray this morning that we would see that, that we would come alongside Paul and come alongside your spirit and really just have a taste of your heart, Lord, for the nations. Please uh, be with my words, be with my mind. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in, in Romans 10, verse uh, 14 to 17. But before we get there, I want to ask a question and this is just a, a, a rhetorical question, but I am the first person that, the first Christian in our family. I came, I was born in Mexico in this little village where there was no gospel present. And so God brought me out of that situation to San Diego where the, undocumented by the way, to San Diego. Um, and the weekend we settled in San Diego in the inner city. There's a bus ministry from this church from the suburbs that would come and pick us all up and go to church. And then I, that's where I discovered donuts. And I kept going for the donuts. Then later on, I started going to church for girls and going to church to be away from my family because it was a messed up situation. But so my motives for going to church, are, it wasn't always pure, the purest, or actually never. Um, but to me, when I heard the gospel for the first time, it was so sweet. It was, 
so impactful that it just completely transformed who I was. My parents, I was a black sheep of the family. My parents, the, the, the police would come and bring me to my parents. And so when they saw that transformation, they couldn't deny that something had happened. Um, and so to you, maybe you've been in, in Christ for a long time, right? Maybe that sweet taste has gone away. And maybe today you're here to learn something new, but I'm not going to do that. We're just going to relearn something very old, something very precious. And a quick introduction to the book of Romans. book of Romans is very deep, right? The whole denominations have been split by the way they interpret Romans, right? Churches have been split, right? But I don't think that was his purpose. The purpose of the, the, the book of Romans is actually a letter, a missionary support letter. This missionary had, a, had this calling from God, Paul, to reach the Gentiles, the nations, with the gospel, and he sends this missionary letter. I don't know about you guys, but would you like to receive a missionary support letter that's 15 chapters long, 16 chapters long? No, we could barely read a page, right? That's what we're told in, in um, as we're fundraising. Like You, you need to be concise. You're, you're, you, people are in a rush. They can maybe read one page, and so we try to aim for that. But Paul didn't care, right? He wrote 15 chapters, and there it was, a, it was thick. But there's, very, there's a lot of deep theological truths. But behind that, why is he saying all these things? Why is he teaching all these things to the church in Rome? Now, the church in Rome was, was multicultural. There was Jews and there was Gentiles. And so as you read the letter, there's sections that, are, that are, are for the Jews, the remnant that believed, right, the Jewish believers. And then they're also for the Gentiles, even causing them not to be proudful that, they, that they, they were from a foreign branch and they got taken and they, they were grafted into the family of God. And he tells them, don't be prideful because of that. But then he also reminds the other Jews that his remnant that they themselves, some of them, some of those branches were going to get cut off because they have decided that Christ, that Jesus was not the Christ. Right? And so he brings this family into this family tree and so we're going to walk through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter. You guys, we, we'll be five hours. No. <laughs> Second service comes, they'll just join halfway. No. So chapter one, just briefly. Why is he saying all these things every, every chapter? Because, you see, Paul never met the Romans. They didn't know what he believed. And there was, when we think, as you study kind of what was going on after after Jesus resurrected, there was a lot of itinerant teachers. There was a lot of teachers that were all over the place, right? When you think of, um, when you think of Apollos, he, was, he, he heard, you know, the, the message of, of John and, uh, and the kingdom coming, and he just ran with it. And it wasn't until later on that Priscilla and Aquila catch up to him, like, hey, no, we need to update you on, on what God has been doing, and we need to update you on the Holy Spirit. And so he gets up, and then he runs with it, right? So there was a lot of different things going on, but the... But, but when Paul starts writing to this church that he has never met, he has a very specific purpose. One, he wants to, he wants, he's always desired to be presently among them and teach them, right? And what was he going to use to teach them? They didn't have the New Testament. It was the Old Testament. 
But how did he use the Old Testament in Romans? It was to, to um, set a foundation for what he was going to say, but ultimately is to let them know the reasoning behind um, the mission to the Gentiles, to the unreached. And so chapter 1 begins by this generic introduction, who he is and, and his ministry, Paul, the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. And he begins setting up that he has been called, he has been set apart, right, for this specific work. He, and then he begins to talk about the nations, that their hearts are corrupted, that, that God revealed himself through nature. Then you go to chapter, then you go to uh, chapter 2, then it says, because God has done that, they have no excuse, but they have not only gone after, um, they have re- rejected the creator and gone after the creation, Right? And when you think of the, the culture back then, we think sometimes of the Greeks and the Romans, how they were very sophisticated and philosophical and sometimes even secular or atheist, but that was not the case. They were extremely religious. And you see idolatry all over the ruins now, even if you go um, to those regions, where even, even when they had council, city council meetings, they would sacrifice to an idol, to a deity, and, 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 bring, and asking them to commune with them as they controlled and ruled and governed the cities. Now, chapter 3, he, he says that there is no one is righteous. Not even one person is righteous, right? And so let's, and he, there's, there is this progression that, that Paul wants to get at by the time he gets to chapter 10. So now, then he gets to chapter 4, righteousness, justification by faith. Before the law, there was faith. And, and he, he, he reminds, the, reminds them of Genesis 15 about Abraham, how he, he had faith. He believed God and God accredited to him righteousness. So faith was there before the law. Then he goes on to chapter 5. That where he gets a little bit personal, but big picture still. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were just Roaming around, not even aware of what God was doing, he still sent Christ, right? He still sent him while we were even paying, we, we weren't even paying attention to him, and he was still faithful to his promises, and he sent Jesus to die for us. And then he reminds us in chapter 5 that sin and death ent- entered, entered the world through one man, Adam. And so therefore, Everyone is a sinner. Everyone suffers from sin, from death, right? So that is his argument in chapter 5, chapter 6. And, and there's a lot of other theological truths in every chapter, but chapter 6 says those um, who have believed are now alive in Christ and dead to sins. And, in, uh, and now they've become where, where once you were now alive in Christ, you were saying you, you were once dead, spiritually dead. Now your faith in Christ, right? Now you are a slave to God. And you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to death. You have been resurrected, but for the purpose of becoming a servant of God, a slave of God, right? Then he goes to chapter 7. Now he gets into a little bit more Jewish nuances here. He says that the Old Testament. Law revealed the sin in Paul, 
He says, well, that's a general, but when talking to the Jewish people, those who were already part of the people of God, he says, and, and they, they transformed this, the law into a, a works-based faith where if we please, if we do these things, then God is satisfied. But Paul says, no, it actually, when you actually try to do these things, it just revealed that you were incapable of doing it. And you needed Christ all the more, right? And so he realizes that evil is actually not something you do, but it's something that is inside of us. He goes on, and there's a lot of things there as well. And he just, at the end of the chapter, he just says, who will rescue me from this body? Because he realizes his deep sinful nature. He jumps into chapter 8. And then he says, he starts, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he ends this, the seventh chapter with this like, deep longing, this plea. And he says, and then he just reminded the gospel, Christ, I get to be free and joy and now there is nothing that can condemn me because Christ is the one who justifies, right? And so now in chapter 8, I want us to read verses 22 and 28. 22 and 28. And these are very important to the rest of the message. Romans uh, 8, 22 to 28. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is not, sorry, let's begin. Now hope that is not seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what, we, what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who have called according to His purpose. And so then He tells them, now the creation is broken, and they groan for resurrection, renewal, restoration, but we as humanity, we also groan, deep groaning, as you grow old, you don't want to be old because we weren't meant to live that. We were meant to live forever with God, right? And so as you get sick, we worked in Mexico for almost 10 years, and we saw death all the time. I mean, grotesque things that the cartels would do to each other and to police officers. And so, and I think that's one of the reasons the gospel really took root in, our, in some of these broken neighborhoods where we worked, and in the city and in the whole country in general, just because people weren't really, they knew this is not supposed to be. And they were scared that they would go to work and not come back. 
You see, we don't live with that mindset. Maybe you get into a car accident in America and you don't come back. But it, in Mexico, it was, it's, a, it's a legitimate circumstance for you to step outside and go to your work, and then you get caught up in some shooting. And that, that, that happens every hour, right? And so our church grew because of that. But Paul here is also saying not only is that not supposed to happen, but we see that there is also a hope that we are waiting for. We are waiting for our bodies to be made whole again, our resurrected bodies, our new heavenly bodies. But at the same time, we're also waiting for Christ to come back. And that's what we as a church, we are waiting for, Christ's return. So now, while we wait for the second coming, there's three billion of unreached people groups that haven't even heard of the first coming, right? So chapter 9 in Romans, and we're almost there. Chapter 9, he talks about this personal longing to see the, the people of God, Israel, the Jewish nation, to just humble themselves and be saved, be saved. So much so his desire is so deep that he, he says that, um, that if, if it meant for him to be accursed, thrown away apart from God, he would do that if it meant his nation would be saved, right? And then verse 10, he begins that if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you, you are saved. Now we get to Romans 10. 14 through 17. Let's read that. So as you see, he's building up. There's a lot of theological truths that we've learned from Paul because of all these previous chapters, but he's building up to a... He's building his case for this church that doesn't even know him to partner with him. And I have a very similar feeling right now. That you don't know me, but... I, but and actually, the church has already decided to partner with us. So we praise God for it. So 10, 14, and 17. He begins with all these, these questions. How then will they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And we'll end there. And we'll pause in a little bit. So the first question, remember in the back of his mind, he's asking this church who he has never met to partner with him. This whole thing of partnering, missionary, partnering, missionary, saying this is a brand new thing to a lot of people. Not only is that a brand new thing, but the gospel it's such a brand new thing to the Romans as well, right? Everything is completely new, and he's justifying why, why the Church of Rome should partner with Paul in, in going to Spain to the farthest, to the ends of the earth in their world, right? He says, you, you should partner with me. So he begins to this question. He says, how can they call how can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? So in this question, he brings up, a, 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 there's a lot of things to say about it, but um, 
like I mentioned before, the religious life during Paul, um, they, every, everything, there was like no atheists. And there is, there is this good um, uh, scholar, um, Larry Hurtado, that says that actually the Christians were considered the atheists. Why? Because they said that they went against all the other gods of the nations and declared that ex- this is exclusiveness of God belongs to Christ. And so they said, no, you guys are anti-God, right? So we were the atheists at one point. But it was very religious. And when they had this culture, so when they would have the Senate meetings, they would call, they would do sacrifices. It was this whole ritual ceremony. The secular and religious, there was no divide. It was just one whole worldview. In America, we can't understand that as, as much, Right? But that it was the world back then. So question number two, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? The reality was that the nations had not heard the great news. Everyone was doing their own thing, worshiping other gods. They weren't aware of what God was doing in the world. And so God called Paul to preach this good news, to update everyone on the work of God. The third question, how can they hear without someone preaching to them. Now he comes to, okay, how are they going to hear? Are they going to get the visions? Are they going to, no, they're, remember his, no one is righteous. No one is seeking God. They're just doing their own thing. Someone needs to go and tell them. Someone, they need a preacher. And so Paul says, I am that preacher. You need to send me. Question number four, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? He says, I'm not meant to go at it alone by myself, right? He has set up his church, his bride, to be the, the, the ambassador, right, to send people, right? So it begins in the church, and, and that is the example that we get with Paul as well and Barnabas when they get sent out from the, the church at Antioch, right? It's always not, and Paul, remember when he gets his vision, he just goes back home and just sits. I'm sure he was studying the scriptures and all these. Different, but he's, so Barnabas has to, he needs to be sent. He go grabs Paul. He brings him to Antioch. And then they help the church because he's an uh, Old Testament scholar, right? So he just grows them in theology and like, okay, this is happening. How does the Old, what does the Old Testament say about everything that's going on? And so they grow the church. And then the church says, well, they're doing a great job. Man, my, we should just send them. So then they send, they get sent. And so Paul now is with the Church of Rome. All everything is new to them. The sending, the gospel, and he's telling them why they should partner with him. And if you read chapter 10, and if you have, um, this is a reference, it has Bible references here on the side, you will see that his argument in Romans and even in chapter 10, remember, they don't have Romans it's not in the canon. Paul is basing all his argument, his whole argument of, of the church partnering with this strange preacher on the Old Testament. That's all he's doing. And so that was 2,000 years ago. And he had a huge task, right? During that time, the language, the English language didn't even exist. It wasn't until 600 AD or something like that. So English is a relatively new language. It's just a mesh of all these different ones as well. That's why it's so hard to learn. 
It took me a while to learn it. Um, but how are we doing now? That was 2,000 years ago. How are we doing now? That, that was just one guy, right? And that was just a few churches back then. And their whole task was to reach the whole world. So now 2,000 years later, how are we doing as the church of God, as a global church? Now I'm going to show this video. I'm going to show this video, and, he, and um, it's going to show... It's going to update, the, update us on what's going on around the world in terms of unreached and in terms of the gospel progress. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah, there are about 400,000 people serving across the world today, but only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. 
God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all people. So in the next few minutes, as I, as I conclude, um, that's a big task, three billion, right? Three billion people. It's a huge task. Paul had a huge task, but it was, he was unwilling to do it without the church behind him. He wasn't just going to go rogue and just do it on himself because he knew that that's impossible. Right? What he was doing, actually, he was actually mobilizing the church in Rome as well. Right? He was cementing, he was setting this foundation for the gospel through every chapter. By the time he gets to chapter 10, it just makes sense. No one is righteous, and they need Christ. Right? All the joy and all the benefits and the relationship you get to have with God, enjoy it. But you also must not keep it, right? And so he goes, Romans 11 and 12 and 13. By the time he gets to chapter 15, he reminds them why he wrote them in the first place. 15, 14. This is says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. The fact that the church in Rome is planted and is there, and the gospel is grown in that sector of the world, that's without Paul, that proves that they're gospel-centered, that they're Christ-centered, that they're Christ followers. He says, you guys don't need me. They need me. You are doing well. I would like to teach you something, he goes on to say. And he eventually does because he gets arrested, right? So, you know, they get to visit him in prison. But he says, you are doing well where you are at. And so Westchester is doing well. As you guys are reaching out to, the, to Hoover and to the middle school, to the preteens. So all that you're doing here, we want to see that happening over there. But before that to happen, they need Christ, right? So as, so as you come, and if you're a visitor at Westchester, we encourage you to join, because this is a church that is centered on the Word of God, and that is it. It is a church that not only sees the local needs, but it's also gospel-centered, and it is also has a perspective, a global perspective, right? It's not a this first and then that, but it's a both and at the same time. Right? And so we are glad that you are partnering with us. But what, do you, what can you do personally as a family? 
You can be an intercessor. You can say, you know, I'm going to invest. I'm not going. And we believe that not everyone is called to go, but everyone is called to participate. Or you could be an intercessor, someone who's standing in the gap for the unreached peoples, pleading with God, send someone, right? You could also be a goer, like our family. We're going for the second time. And, but the purpose is not going, is establishing churches within people groups where the church does not yet exist, where they have no name for Jesus. And we've seen that with our very own eyes in our first trip. As we were trying to figure out which people group we're going to focus, we would ask the villagers, have you heard of Jesus? And they would ask, they would say, no, no one, no one lives here in this village by that name. They would ask, how about other village? Have you heard of that name before? He says, no, I know everyone in most villages. And no one exists here by that name. Maybe you got the wrong part of this region. Maybe you're look, you need to keep looking somewhere else. Or you could be a welcomer. Right? Reaching the nations who have come to us. Right? So those are some of the things that you can do. And you could, don't do them by yourselves. But do it as an extension of Westchester. I thank you for your time. Um, I pray that you would join us in the evening and that um, we'll get into specific of the people group and a lot of information and what's going on in the country where we're going to be living. You'll get to be my family as well. We have three kids um, in the back. Um, you can take some, you could, if you want our monthly newsletters, you could sign up for that as well or take our prayer card and just and just become intercessors. Put it on your fridge. Every time you're going to eat, pray for us. Right? Let's bow our heads. Father, what a joy it is to be in Christ. Um, that there is no condemnation. That we are justified by faith. That we have been adopted. Every pre- everyone present, the majority of us here present, we were Gentiles at one point. We were not a member of your family, Lord. But you sent Christ to graft us into your family tree. And so we praise you for that. We ask this morning, Lord, as you move, may you remind us that the gospel is not old news. It is good news. And to those who have never heard, it is very new news, Lord, and very incredible news. So be with everyone this morning. We praise you for your word, and we praise you for your work you're doing among the nations. In your name we pray. Amen.